Acts chapter 6. We, uh, we see here uh, a, a, an interesting uh, thing happening. And uh, as, as we get into this, as we prepare, uh, the church has grown and it's, it's getting pretty big. And uh, there, what has happened is uh, there was this movement amongst the brothers and sisters to sell everything uh, and to support one another. And uh, uh, there was uh, some issues there with uh, Ananias and Sapphira uh, uh, with some fake, uh, fake worship where they were just saying uh, in their lives that when they, when they presented their gift, uh, they were lying to the Holy Spirit, and uh, that ended up uh, bad for them. That's not a good thing. God wants us to come to him with a sincere heart. And uh, so uh, we, uh, where we're looking this morning is the church is, has grown, and uh, there's a physical need that needs to be met, uh, and there's an issue with it. The church is experiencing some growing pains. So Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, is, uh, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, uh, uh, Timon, not Timon, uh, yeah, uh, Parmeni, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So uh, as I stated, the church, now that as it's growing rapidly, as the gospel is spreading, they're experiencing some growth uh, pains and uh, growing pains. And uh, it explains that there was a complaint that the Hellenists were not being uh, properly uh, provided for in the daily provisions. Now, Hellenists are Greek speaking Jews, people that had uh, adopted the Greek culture. And uh, they would often, uh, they, they would, um, uh, there was consternation between uh, the uh, the the Hellenists and the Jews. So uh, the Jews inside Israel had thought themselves better than them. So uh, there was a little bit of strife going on between the two groups. And there's this complaint that the widows were being um, uh, not being provided for. So you know, remember the church mindset was to care for for one another. You know, um, you know, that that mindset of what's mine is yours and I'm going to share it. It wasn't that the church was taking from everybody. It was everybody was willingly offering gifts. And uh, when it came to the daily provision, because often uh, back in those days when uh, anybody made a profession of faith in Christ, that was detrimental, especially to the first century church, to their uh, their livelihood. They would often be uh, cast out of synagogue and they would be um 
that which means that they would be uh, cast off in society. So if they had businesses, that those would suffer uh, at the hand uh, of, of the uh, rejection. So uh, there was a lot going on. So people needed to be provided for. And uh, so we see the problem happening, and the problem is brought to the twelve, the apostles. And uh, they come up with a wise plan, and they say for them to find men that they could put in charge of making uh, sure everything runs smoothly. And, um, you know, they I like how they put here, they don't just say grab seven people. They're very specific with who uh, they would want to be chosen uh, to, to take on this very important ministry. And uh, what we see here is the role of deacon being established, those that would take care of the physical needs of the church. So when uh, when this comes up, they're saying, well, you know, they, they, they make the statement here that it wouldn't be good for them to leave the word of God to serve tables. And not that they were speaking down about that ministry at all, but they were commissioned by Christ to preach the word. So those 12 had a very special uh, uh, really commission on their lives to be preaching. So they, they say that there were things that were necessary to serve in that capacity. It goes on to say seven men, if you look at verse three, of good reputation. You know, the, you know that, that how would we know if somebody is of good reputation until there's some time that has passed before somebody can be put into that position? Because if somebody just comes and they present themselves and say, I'm a man or woman of great, of, uh, you know, good reputation. I should be uh, in, in I'd like to be in this position. Uh, the, the stance of this church is once somebody has, has uh, said that they want to serve in a specific capacity, there's some time that needs to pass, especially if they're new to the church, specifically if they're new to the church, because we need to get to know people before we know if they're of good reputation. Right. Because when somebody is serving in ministry here, then they're a reflection of the Lord and they're a reflection, a reflection of this body uh, of believers. So it's important uh, that we know who's serving and we know what, where their walk is in life, because if they're here, uh, let's say they're serving uh, and they're teaching a Bible study here. And then so while they're here, they're one person and then you see them and uh, they're just flat out drunk. In Bar Harbor, or or you see them, and uh, uh, and they're smoking cigarettes with a beer in their hand. You're going to get maybe a little bit confused, right? So there are things that we need to know, and there are there are criteria that when somebody says they want to step into ministry here, that that I am responsible, that that I know that somebody is uh, of good reputation. I can't just say, "Great, you've got this talent. Why don't we just start having you do it?" Uh, there is much of the church that does that, and unfortunately, it ends up uh, in uh, a, a bad situation for, for a lot of churches because they don't know the person or they don't care. They just want to have this part of the ministry look great. You know, that's not what we're called to do. If you look at you know, the template that's being set forth here uh, by the, the first century leaders, is it has to be someone of good reputation that is known in, in the church and in the community as somebody who loves God. Now look what it says here as it continues, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So it's not just somebody who has a specific talent. Somebody has to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be serving biblically. You guys have heard me quote it, and I think it was C.S. Lewis that said it. And it's sad that the church operates often uh, under under this uh, this statement. 
it, it's talking. What do we, I think it was C.S. Lewis. Correct me if I'm wrong. After church, um, but he, he said it's it, when when the church could continue 95% of what it does without the Holy Spirit being present. If the Holy Spirit was removed and that that 95% of what's going on wouldn't change, that's a problem, and that's an accurate assessment. Uh, to a church that isn't seeking the Lord, that isn't uh, in submission to the Lord and is just doing its own thing. That, that we have to, the Holy Spirit needs to be what is leading. He, he needs to be the one leading and guiding us. And what does the Spirit do? Point to Christ. So this church is about Jesus Christ. This church is about the Word of God. Are we the only church in town like that? Absolutely not. We're not. There are some great Bible teaching churches in this area. This just happens to be where we're at. You know, this, we the focus is on the Word of God and, and praising the Lord. So a, a minister that doesn't have the Holy Spirit is not one that we would want serving uh, in this ministry. We have to have the main ingredient, right? The Holy Spirit. Remember, I, and I said this, I'm going to sound like a broken record, all the way through the book of Acts. But Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they would receive power from on high to be witnesses. So we have to have the, the Holy Spirit within us to lead and guide us, giving us the power to live a, a, a life victorious over sin and one that would please the Lord. So the criteria are of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and they want wise people, people that are making wise decisions in their lives. Guys, if you know you think of Solomon when he was when he found out he was going to be uh, king and and uh, uh, he's accepted the role. He's moved into the role after his father died. The one thing he asked for from the Lord was wisdom. And we know uh, that uh, even uh, people outside Christianity know how wise uh, Solomon was, where uh, you know the queen of Ethiopia came up and said, I've got to hear this guy speak. And it was one of those things. His, his wisdom was known worldwide. He also made some very unwise decisions in his life, which led to some big problems in his life. But as far as his leadership as, as, as king of Israel, he knew that he needed God's wisdom. So of good report, full of the Holy Spirit, and wise. Those are the people that uh, the 12 had said uh, to choose from. So we see the first one named here, Stephen. And it says that, uh, that Stephen was a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. So uh, no doubt, even though it doesn't say uh, of good reputation, we can assume that's there because these people were the ones that met that criteria. So we see Stephen full of faith and he met that, that criteria. Notice it doesn't say that, that Stephen was uh, fitted with a specific amount of, you know, pizza tossing, catching talent. You know, as he's going to be handing out food and these things and everything, you know, it doesn't talk about talent. It says here, it says good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. Yes, talent is needed, right? You have to be a good communicator to be a teacher. You have to be able to keep a, a beat if you're a drummer. You know, those things. We're not just going to be, hey, this person's this, this, and this. Great, let's make them the drummer. It, it, yes, those things are going to come together. But the biggest thing there is a good report uh, full of the Holy Spirit and um, of, of wisdom. So Stephen met that and the others that, that were named there. So as I said, this is the office of deacon being established here. 1 Timothy 3, verses uh, 8 through 10 say, Likewise, deacons, this is Paul writing to Timothy, uh, who's a young pastor, and uh, trying to figure out how to be a pastor of a church. And Paul is telling him, he's telling him uh, regarding leadership, he says, Likewise, deacons, those who care for the physical needs of the church, must be reverent, not double-tongued, 
not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. It's an important thing to be serving in ministry. Not just anybody is going to be asked to be served in, in ministry. Now, does that make anybody, does that mean we're looking around for the spiritual elite? No, people that are loving God and serving him in sincerity. That's the key made ingredient right there. Because when they're loving God, that means that's an evidence of the Holy Spirit being in our lives, right? And as we see the Spirit moving and everything, and one thing that's uh, that's I, I learned from uh, you know my pastor who pastored this church for 20 years, he said to me um, uh, that uh, when I, Jen and I first got here, and we just said we you know I didn't come down here with an agenda, but we had come down. Uh, we had been leading the youth ministry in, in Washington State. We served for a little while um, after we moved back uh, to Maine and. And uh, we served for a little while in Calvary, Orrington, but really believed the Lord was calling us uh, down here. So we, we kind of said, I, you know, after that all happened, went to Will. I'm like, hey, I'm here to serve in whatever capacity you got. Cool. You know, that was his response. It wasn't like, here's my spiritual resume. What do you got for me? You know, it, it wasn't that mindset at all. And Will wasn't sitting there going, all right, tell me what you got. What's going on? It wasn't like that at all. Just we were here. And then just start serving. Just doing stuff, not to I mean, just little things. Oh, there's a trash can there and it's full. I'm going to take it out, you know, and, and oh, there's something spilled on the ground. Cleaning it up, just some of those things. And will eventually I, I did not do that to be it was just to serve this. I wasn't to be seen or anything. And, and this isn't exalting me at all. Please don't uh, mistake it to be. But eventually he came, he brought me in and he said, hey, I'd like you to pray about, uh, you know, becoming a deacon in the church. And, and I'm like, sure, you know, I can do that. And he goes, the reason I'm saying that is because deacon is as deacon does. And he's like, you're already doing these things. But before you step into this, I want you to pray. I want you to be aware that as soon as you step into this role, the spiritual attacks in your life are going to increase because now you're getting more serious about your relationship with the Lord and serving him. So it was, but I love that deacon is as deacon does. They're just the, the people that are just naturally uh, serving, just going around and, hey, I want nothing to do. You know, I've heard this from several people that serve in that role. I'm not speaking in front of anybody. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even think about asking me, guys, you guys know, I, I, I get scared to death to, to sing up here. But this is what we're where we're at. Right. And I just I just need to shut up and do it. That That's what it is. Right. Sometimes we just need to do what it is that we're that we're, that we're called to do. So these guys, uh, they met all the spiritual criteria. They uh, so these ones were chosen. And uh, and it named all of them. Now, verse four says that they the uh, the um, apostles say we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there were different roles for things to move smoothly. Not that they considered themselves too good to serve that. But as I said, they were commanded and commissioned by Christ to preach the gospel. So they knew their marching orders were that. And they're saying, OK, we can't do that and this. So this is also a lesson of delegation. Uh, Moses, when uh, when you consider uh, Moses just before the Ten Commandments were given, uh, Moses' uh, father-in-law comes up and says, "Man, you're trying to uh, you know juggle all these things. Why don't you delegate?" 
And that was godly advice for Moses. He was trying to take care of everything and lead all the people and hear all the matters. And he's like, hey, why don't you find some people? That delegation is important. So these guys understood delegation was important. And they said, we're going to you know, continue uh, to pray and uh, to be in the word. And you know, those uh, teaching uh, had to ensure that they were solely focused on prayer and ministering the word and those important ingredients of an effective ministry. You know, unfortunately... Today's church is, is often focused on uh, whatever social is, uh, issue is popular for the day. Um, and uh, unfortunately, they'll, uh, they'll dive into that. And then we're going to go here and we're going to dive into this and those things. When that target is always moving and they're chasing those things uh, to, to remain popular, to remain, uh, you know, hey, we're, we got to stay up with, with the times and everything. Guys, if you haven't looked around, these times aren't ones you want to follow. We want to be people that are about prayer and ministering the word. You know, these guys weren't sitting around. They knew their job wasn't to sit around and think of a church growth plan and marketing strategies. And, you know, should we put lights in, in fog and, and sound effects and, and all those things, guys. What I love when you see the church growing like wildfire in, in, in the New Testament, it's because the word was being preached. That's it. Just as they focused on the word. And then, then God was moving. You know, God, God is the one that, remember it says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Not the marketing plan, not the this, not the that, and the fireworks and all that junk. Cast it right out of the way, guys, because we need to understand the simplicity of being in the word in our, by ourselves when we're at home, right? Being in the word, playing the word when you're driving or whatever it is, you know, listen to a teaching, whatever. We need to be able to feed ourselves, we need to be able, to, instead of just coming here on Sunday morning or whatever service, you know, somebody the the important uh, the importance of being able to spiritually feed ourselves with the Word of God. Now, verse five mentions a proselyte, which is a convert from Antioch. So, if you see that word and everything, it's, it's somebody who uh, was was a convert uh, of Antioch. Now, verse six it says that when those it's it's talking about the twelve the uh, sorry the seven that were chosen, they prayed and laid hands on them. So they start with a very important step in praying for them, petitioning God on their behalf. You know, Lord, these guys are about to step into ministry. Bless them. Uh, help them to be uh, good stewards of what you're, what you're calling them to uh, take care of. And it says the laying on of hands. And, you know, what does that mean? What does it represent? You know, why do we do it? Um, and we're, we're shown in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, uh, to not be quick to do so. It's supposed to be a careful and prayerful process to, uh, to send somebody out into ministry. There has to be a, uh, a, a um, vetting that needs to happen. Uh, not like I said, not that, okay, well, this resume looks more important than this, this resume, this one really shine. None of that's, and by the way, nobody ever submits a, a resume in this church. I'm just saying, you know, if we were to think of how weird it would be, right. And, you know, us in our pride sitting there with the glasses halfway down, go, you know, no, that, that's, that's foolishness, right? No, what, what was, when these guys were, were determined there, they, they were praying a special prayer. And, and the Lord told us in the scripture to lay hands on people when we pray for them. That, that's a, that's a like blessing them. You know, it's a, it's a special way of, of blessing those people. So they weren't uh, quick to do so. They knew that who, who was serving and they uh, laid hands on them. 
So in verse 7, we see godly wisdom being implemented in a, a good orderly plan. It says then, the, you know, when, it, when it's talking about the church growing, uh, in, in verse 7, the word then is used there. Then the word of God spread. You know, there's something to be said for something to be done de decently and in order. You know, God is a God of order. Look at creation, and it's undeniable. You know, when you look at the order of creation, if we were a mistake from a big bang and goo and all that stuff over billions, trillions of years, that ridiculousness, the earth is just over 6,000 years old, uh, you know, when you when you look at it uh, uh, through the Bible. If you want to talk about that later, you can probably talk to Oliver. He's a, he, he likes the science stuff. Now, I, uh, I didn't mean to throw him out there or anything, but, yeah, you would probably talk to him too. But uh, the scriptures are, are what we rely upon for our truth, uh, not um, the lie of evolution. So when you consider uh, the order that is in, now just consider the order of our body. Right. And, and I'll be very brief on this, but our bodies are way too uh, uh, complex and organized for us to think that a God that would create, it, create everything where science has even moved away from. Well, maybe not evolution, but creative. OK, so there's a there's a a, uh, a designer. You know, there's an intelligent designer out there that took. OK, so now there's an intelligent designer. And now try not to laugh. It's moved towards aliens that we were created by aliens. Anything than a than a loving God that loves us that, that gives gives us feelings, Get, guys, the ability to taste good food, right? Those are a blessing from the Lord, right? We're able to see, to hear, to touch. You know those those types of things that the Lord gave us. God is a God of order, so it's no uh, no a big surprise that when the church gets things in order, then things start working better and the church continues to grow. And it says the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, so many were growing in the discipline of their faith. It's interesting here; a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Even they were saying, "Wait, there's something different happening here." So it was it was ministering to everybody that was there, which is. Very, uh, very powerful for us to consider. Uh, verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were uh, not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and scribes, and they came upon them, seized them, and brought them to the council. Verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Very interesting. So we just had Stephen introduced to us and Stephen is being used mightily by the Lord. He's completing signs and wonders, ministering in the name of Christ, not to gain people to himself. As soon as the attention came, no doubt very quick, 
to point out this is Jesus Christ doing this. I'm working by the power of the Holy Spirit that God is doing something here. And it, it gains the attention of these people. And, and um, when we see what's happening here, there's an effective ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, full of faith and power and great wonders that are happening. You know, that key ingredient of the Holy Spirit. So as that's all happening, we see this group of people called the Synagogue of Freedmen. Now, the King James Version calls them libertines uh, from the Latin. Uh, some believe that these were Roman slaves set free. That would where the liberty, libertine would come from and converts to Judaism. Others believe that uh, these were Jews uh, who were Roman slaves. If you have an NIV, uh, it will say the Synagogue of Freed Slaves. Regardless... This bunch of yahoos all got together and uh, have a wicked plan. And they know that they can't resist. They were unsuccessful in, in resisting the Holy Spirit, right? That, that's, that's what is, is said here. So once they're unsuccessful, they go about things uh, in a very most wicked way. And they had been disputing with him and they were unsuccessful because the wisdom of the Holy Spirit uh, was within him. And instead of reflecting on their incorrect mindset, they result to sabotage and they, they result, result to uh, setting him up. And uh, verse 11 says that they uh, explains that they had devised a plan and they get some people to get some things going. And they state that he's speaking blasphemy against Moses and God. So those are the they knew they knew the, the trigger names and the trigger words to say blasphemy Moses and God. So they they get this plan and they throw it all together uh, and uh, these guys uh, get arrested and um, they uh, now when you accuse somebody of blasphemy that's a capital crime you could lose your your head for that you could be stoned to death uh, any of those things if you're blaspheming against <clears throat> against God it's speaking in contempt about God or defiantly being defiantly irreverent toward God. Uh, and, and when somebody is accused of that, where uh, they, they would have more than one witness, uh, then uh, in, based on Israel's laws, oh, okay, let everything be established by the mouth of two or more. So uh, when two came and said, oh, yeah, we've heard him. He's been saying all these things and everything. It gets Stephen arrested. And we know that these are false witnesses making claims that he's blaspheming. And then they even said, they quote, and they say that he's focused on Jesus Christ. And they said that this Jesus of Nazareth, that's how they're, they're speaking. So they, they, you, can, you can almost hear the tone that they're using. Uh, and when they're saying that Jesus of Nazareth is going to come destroy this place and change the customs of Moses. If there was one thing that Israel, the religious leaders, kept close to them was customs. And, and their, their own uh, strategies in, in, of, of controlling people. Uh, those customs had become more important than the word of God to them, their own traditions. So when you challenge their traditions, that challenges their power. And then they get scared and they say, well, I'm going to lose power. I'm going to lose money. And, you know, then the Romans are going to come over and they're going to see that we don't have power anymore. We're going to lose everything. So they, they knew the key words to say. And so they stir up false witnesses. Now, regarding false witnesses, we're not going to turn there, but 1 Kings 21 uh, is a great example. If you want to turn there, go ahead. But uh, I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to summarize. That is where we see a very ext an extremely wicked woman named Jezebel at work. Her spoiled brat husband, uh, King Ahab, and I say that because he's literally acting like a spoiled brat. 
um, he noticed, I mean, he's a king. He's got everything to his disposal. And he finds that this man uh, has, uh, this uh, Naboth uh, has a, a vineyard and he can't have it. He goes and approaches Naboth and, and he says, hey, I'd like to buy your vineyard. And, and Naboth's like, absolutely not. This is a family inheritance. You're not having it. So he goes, literally, if he could, he probably would have put his foot, his thumb in his mouth. And he went and cried. It said that he laid on his bed and he wouldn't even eat. So that's why I say he's a little crying little baby, right? That's that's a spoiled brat. So I don't I, I say that, but it's actually extremely accurate. You know, when you look at how he's acting and he's just feeling bad for himself, you know, and he he wants his wife to come up with what's, what's wrong, dear. Right. It's, it's that thing uh, that that mindset if he needed to be babied. And Jezebel is such a wicked woman. She comes in and finds out. She's like, why are you acting like this? I got it. I'll take care of it. So she writes up letters as though she's King Ahab. And she sends them uh, to the leaders of, of Jezreel. And he tell, she tells them to proclaim a fast and put Naboth in the seat of honor. And he says, put scoundrels next to him. Scoundrels that will, that will set him up and accuse him of blasphemy. And uh, and what is how, what she knows that what the result's going to be, and she says once they've accused him uh, in front of the elders, stone him to death. It happened. The whiny little baby got his way because his wife, who is a extremely you guys know the story of Jezebel, right? Didn't end well for her. Something about falling out a window and dogs eating her, right? Uh, pretty pretty awful. So wicked wicked woman, and uh, she murdered this man. Murdered him. And then, uh, you know, King Ahab, you know, oh, gets all excited, goes down, and it shows that he goes and he, he goes into the vineyard. There's absolutely no check in his heart. Doesn't care at all. Wicked, selfish man, and so was his wife. You know, consider those those things here. They say that, that he, uh, Stephen, is a, they're trying to set him up in the same way. And we'll see here if I can get through it. Uh, that that uh, he he faces the same fate, and uh, they say that he's going to destroy this place and change the their precious cu uh, customs. And uh, they knew the words to say to get everybody fired up, and um, and they uh, they uh, carry out their plan. It says, but they looked at him steadfastly, and he had the face of an angel. Now uh, there are differing opinions on this, but ultimately. Um, uh, everybody that you know, when I I've ever studied on that, uh, is uh, he had the peace of God and no fear of man, so he's a perfect confidence of God. But if you consider even um, uh, Moses when he came down from being with the Lord, that his face was shining, whatever it was, they saw something different. That he was being accused of these things, but they saw him standing in confidence in God. Luke twelve verses eleven through twelve say. Now, when they, this is Jesus warning those that were going to carry the gospel after he was gone. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry how or about, uh, oh, sorry, how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour that you, what you ought to say. And what we see is that happening right here. Don't worry about it. Just go about serving me. And when that happens, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would give him the words. Verse seven, uh, verse one of chapter seven says, "Then the high priest said, 'Are these things so?' So the high priest, you know, had no idea what was going next. 
going to happen next. And I think that it was an instant regret. You know those things like, okay, the microphone's yours. I, I think that when we see this sermon that's that's preached here, um, that brings intense conviction. And the sermon of sermons, you know, one for the ages that's uh, that's uh, being preached here. I mean, Stephen is is he's ready for it. You know, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit, so God is speaking through him. And he starts with, brethren and fathers, listen. So he's speaking to them as brethren and fathers. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. Verse 2, the, glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, get out of your of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved uh, him from this, uh, moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even, uh, not even to set his foot on, but even uh, when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. So uh, the first thing Stephen done, it does is get everybody's attention. And it seemed like it would be an easy task, but this is falling on uh, ears that had grown deaf toward the truth. And uh, when they hear the truth, they start hearing it and uh, they uh, didn't line up with their plans. So they're not very happy. So Stephen explains how Israel received the promised land. And when Abraham had no child, God promised it to him and his descendants for a possession. So these men were very familiar with their history. This wasn't a shock to them. So he's setting up what he needs to say. Verse 6. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be bondage, I will judge. So God uh, said, God, and after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Now that that is uh, coming from Genesis 15 regarding the foreign land in Exodus 3, that they would serve God in this place. Verse 8, so we're just going over a history lesson here, so there won't be a whole lot of, con, uh, of uh, uh, a commentary coming until certain parts. Verse 8 says, Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and uh, so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. So he's opening everything up, and they're like, yep. I imagine so, you know, in their mind, they're going, okay, he's got this right, check, 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 right? So now he gets to the 12 patriarchs. And in verse 9, it says, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there uh, was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. That would be the 12. Uh, the, when they say the fathers, that's the leaders of, of each tribe. Verse 13. And the, the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob, and all his relatives to him, 75 people. 
So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and his fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So uh, another reminder to them, these religious leaders would have been very familiar to how this all played out. You know, okay, we had the 12, and then the 12 did this, and they went into Egypt, right? So now what he's talking about is is now there's a move of the people that now they're in Egypt. So he's moving through Israel's history. Verse 17, But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Verse 18, Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies, kill their babies, so that they may not live. We just studied that last uh, on uh, Wednesday night is, is right where we're at right now. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he uh, was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. So Pharaoh's daughter found him. His uh, Moses's mother had built an ark uh, of wood and 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 then uh, covered it in pitch so it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't sink or take on water and put him in the reeds. And then Pharaoh's daughter found him and uh, brought him uh, in as her own after paying his mother to uh, to feed him uh, to feed him. So as God's provision was a one, that's a wonderful thing to go back and start uh, your study in, in Exodus to to go back and look at this. In the interest of time, we'll continue going. Verse 22, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of uh, the children of Israel and seeing one of them suffer for suffer wrong. He defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. That's a key verse to remember as, as uh, Stephen continues uh, to, uh, to blast these guys with the truth. Verse 26, and the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. So the rejection of Moses as their deliverer was starting at that point, was right there, okay? So keep that in your mind as we proceed forward. <clears throat> so he was 40 years as the son of uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and now we'll see here another 40 years in verse uh, 30 is spent in Midian. So, and when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and uh, as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your, off, uh, take your sandals off your feet, uh, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have... Come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. 
this Moses, who, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush. So you see, as, as he's describing all these things, so he says Moses spent 40 years in Midian, and as he was in Midian shepherding his father-in-law Jethro's um, uh, sheep, He's in the backside of the desert and God appears to him in a burning bush that was on fire but not being consumed. So that drew him in and God explains who he is and that he is holy uh, to, uh, to Moses. And then it says here in verse 35, then Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler over us? He was the one that God said he was going to send to Egypt to deliver the people of, of Israel. It says he was the one that God sent uh, to deliver them by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. You know, so uh, the, it's it's what he's doing, what Stephen is doing is establishing, okay, you want to talk about Moses and you want to talk about Jesus? We're going to spend some time talking about Moses and we're going to talk about Jesus, okay? That's what you guys see what's happening here. He's dwelling. He's really diving into, okay, we talk about Abraham and we're going to talk about, you know, the other patriarchs and, and all those things. But we're really going to fo focus our attention here as he's giving them the Bible study uh, on, on Moses, whom you're saying uh, that I am speaking against. Verse 36, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So he spent 40 years as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 40 years in, in uh, Midian, and then another 40 years leading Israel as they wandered in the desert. So Moses died at 140 years, 120 years old. Sorry, uh, the math there for a second, right? So uh, there's the uh, uh, 120 years old. So uh, we see his life broken down, and we see Moses from his birth until his death. And there's a lot to learn uh, from Moses. You want to learn more? Wednesday nights, we're right in Exodus. Come uh, meet with us. Verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet, big P, like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is Moses prophesying of the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. Moses told the people, you are going, you're, you, not, obviously not them there, but your descendants need to hear what this prophet has to say of who Jesus Christ is. Who the prophet is, is the Messiah. Now, look at 38. This is he who was in the congregation and uh, in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us whom our fathers would not obey. Okay, this is where he's like lowering the boom, right? Our fathers would not obey. This is, you know, if you consider like, you ever seen a movie where, you know, there, there are two people, two armies fighting, and then you see the big cannon turning toward, that's what's happening spiritually right now, okay? But whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Remember, they even said, Oh, I know we were getting beaten, we were getting treated with contempt, but the leeks and onions were awesome. We were getting the snot kicked out of us every day. And these the heavy burdens, we were crying out to the Lord and he heard us. But yeah, we want to go back. The, the leeks and onions, the food was great, right? Uh, tell me that's not a fleshly desire, right? Uh, verse 40, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not 
know what has become of him. That's when he was up on the mountain and they're saying, okay, maybe Moses is dead up there. Can you make us a false god, Aaron, uh, who is Moses' brother? Can you just make us something to worship? And that's where the whole golden calf thing came, right? Uh, verse 41 says, And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. It's as stupid as that looks, right? They made something and then sacrificed to it and rejoiced in what they had made. Tell me that's not our hearts that are so drawn uh, to uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, temptation of, of serving something uh, that is uh, the created rather than the creator, right? Uh, we, we trust the Lord would guard our hearts and keep us from that. But he's saying that they were, they were right involved in that. Verse 42 says, Then God turned and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven. As it was written in the book of the prophets, did you, uh, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, fan, uh, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So Moloch, really quickly, uh, we won't spend time on this, but Moloch or Molech, um, uh, a giant metal statue with a bull's head with arms uh, stretched out in a hole and they would heat it up and they would sacrifice babies uh, that were unwanted that came as a result of the sexual rituals that they would uh, practice in worshiping that God. And so there was baby sacrifice so that they would be prosperous. Uh, that's what they would do. Uh, and Remphan is a pagan, uh, another pagan uh, god that would they would worship in while in the wilderness. You know, God's made of human hands, uh, not the one that made them. And that's the the really what what's being pointed out. Verse forty four, and our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructed Mo, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked for a, uh, a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Uh, in verse 50, it says, my hand, uh, has my hand not made all things? You know, there was this, this uh, you know, God had to let him know, guys, I'm greater than anything that you could create. Uh, yes, there was the tabernacle that God said uh, for them to use for worship. And hey, the temple's there, but God was greater than both of those. Here is where the cannonball gets launched, right? You know, we saw it building up to this. Verse 51 says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist, resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So he, all that whole thing, your fathers did this, your fathers did that, right? And he's explaining, it's been a problem all along, Israel. And he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers uh, did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold of the coming, uh, the coming of the just one. Okay, Moses, now Jesus, of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers, uh, who have received the law 
by the direction of angels and have not kept it. I mean, he just lit the, the, the fuse, blasted out the cannonball, and they heard it. And he's, he's your stiff-necked, heart of heart, you're stubborn. And he's saying, you're just like your fathers, rejecting God. You, know, you wanted to talk about Moses, you did. And then you wanted to talk about Jesus. He's the just one that, that was spoken of by the prophets. And you have become betrayers and murderers of him. You know, the, so when you consider uh, where he says you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, Romans 2, verses 28 and 29 say, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is of the outward flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Deuteronomy 10, 16, all these verses should be coming up on here. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Remember, Jesus said that if we can, if we commit sin in our heart, sins of, and he's specifically talking about murder and adultery, if you've can, uh, done those in your heart, you've committed those things. You're a sinner, right? That can put any of us for any type of sin that's listed in the scripture, right? If we've desired it in our hearts, we've committed the sin, right? Uh, remember, Jesus said that it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So the sin resides in our hearts. It's, it's, it's our hearts that were the problem. Last thing, Jeremiah 4.4 4, uh, regarding the circumcision. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. They had trusted in the works and they were biblically blind to the symbolism of what circumcision was. They thought, hey, if we just take care of this stuff uh, physically, then, then we're good. We've, we've checked all the, the physical boxes, but there's so much more. There's a spiritual uh, need there for their hearts to have cut away the flesh of, of uh, their, their own flesh, their, their fleshly desires and sin. You know, you, he's saying you resist God just like your fathers did. You know, you persecuted the prophets and you become betrayers, uh, murderers of Jesus, the Messiah. He doesn't say Jesus' name, but he calls him the just one, the perfect one. You've received the law, but you've not kept it. And we'll wrap up right here with these last few verses and a few words. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, right? gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a large, loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. They got it just double barrels right at them. And what, did the, what does it say? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. So the whole conversation was surrounded uh, surrounding Moses and Jesus. You know, the ones uh, that the liars had brought up, right? Those that were, um, that were uh, summoned 
to come in and make up this lie so that they could take him out. You know, God speaking through Stephen set the record straight. You know, they had trusted in Moses but actually rejected him. This all went so bad for them. It went so bad that their hearts get cut so much that all they can do is gnash at him and then run at him, drag him out, and stone him to death. Right? There's no argument. They can't even argue it. They're so cut to the heart. You know, he spoke of the prophet that would come after them, and they would not hear it. You know, when they start hearing these things and they that the truth, you know, their whole religious system that they had boasted about was, you know, uh, that they uh, that was founded by God and and was they had somehow become so prideful in then and, and uh, that had boasted in in Moses whom they rejected and that the scriptures spoke of Jesus another one that they had rejected they rejected the prophets that were sent to them they rejected both deliverers that were sent to them Moses to deliver them from Egypt and Christ to deliver them from the uh, even worse bondage than uh, Egypt had for them, that, that, that heavy bond of sin uh, that, that uh, sin would have over one's life. I, I, I wonder, you know, if there'd be an interjection right there, right after he said it, that he didn't, and this is not biblical at all, but you guys still want to talk about Moses and Jesus? You know, that, that he could have just said that, right? But he didn't. So, um, But notice the stark contrast here where he says, where it says that they were cut to the heart. If you contrast that and you look at Acts chapter 2, cut to the heart. When, when the, the, the lost heard the, the, the gospel, they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, all of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is the exact opposite, right? And this is where you're going to see the differences in the reception of the gospel. One accepted it and were saved. The other rejected it and, and carried out what their murderous hearts already had within them. They gnashed at him with their teeth, meaning they're yelling. They're saying things. And as, Peter, as Stephen is saying his last few words, they literally plugged their ears, stopped their ears, ran in, and got extremely violent, dragged him out, and stoned him to death. Last thing I have for you, Stephen was not defending himself whatsoever. You notice that? There's no word given by Stephen to defend himself. He just blasts forth with this awesome sermon for them. He was speaking the truth of the gospel regardless of the cost. You know, it cost Stephen his life that day. And he was content as he died. You notice that? He died. He died a martyr's death. And he stood firm in the, in the face of certain death. You know, that should be an encouragement for us to live and speak as we ought. Without fear, you're going to lose your job for for speaking when you need to speak. Then lose your job. You know, if you're going to you know cut off a relationship because you speak the truth to somebody, should we do it uh, in love? Absolutely. Speak the truth in love, grace, mercy, all those things. Somebody's mocking you and and everything. Just say, hey, you're mocking me, but I'm just I'm telling you the truth. You want to accept it or not? They don't want to accept it. They want to go on. Then then pray for them. Don't be like ah, they're anathema. They're they're cursed. Uh, to hell in my eyes. That shouldn't be our approach at all. We should pray for them even more. Jesus told us to love our enemies. Pray for those that persecute us, right? This man saw God and Jesus, at God the Father, and Jesus at his right hand in that place of honor and authority. And although he had been killed uh, by, uh, by, the, uh, by the Romans and, and rejected by his people and everything, he didn't remain on the cross. He was there. And uh, Hebrews 12 tells us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's literally doing it. He's actually physically seeing Jesus with his eyes. So he was stoned as he was calling on Jesus to receive his spirit. 
You know, Romans uh, 8, verses 38 and 39 say this, For I am persecuted, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm persecuted, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This man's dying, and that life and death, he's still praising Jesus. And he's still saying that he actually sees Jesus. And look what he does. He prayed that God would not charge him with this sin. As he's dying, he's interceding for those that are killing him. You know, you look at the the the, the um, persecuted church in history. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs or um, uh, uh, DC Talk, um, Jesus Freaks. And you, you hear of those stories and how powerful. Uh, I, I read a, a quick one of uh, uh, two ladies that were being killed for their faith that Evan Valeric had posted. And I'll summarize it very quickly. But as they're in, in uh, the arena being killed in Rome, uh, they're, uh, they hadn't been killed by all the other attacks. So they were the, the executioners were given an order to kill them, and they were so scared that one of them graciously grabbed the guy that was supposed to take her head off and put the blade to her neck. Uh, by seeing how how scared he was. Guys, we have to stand for our faith. You know, are we facing this type of persecution in this country? No, not yet. Uh, we, we can see in the scripture that, that it's it's building up to that. We don't know where exactly we are in time, but things are there. This world is growing more and more hostile to uh, to the uh, scripture. And he says, you know, sounding like Jesus. You know, his Savior says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, is what Jesus said. You know, um, consider a person like Stephen. Hebrews 11.38, speaking of martyrs, it says that this world was not worthy of them. Those that were sawn in two, that were killed for their faith, and, and cast out stone to death, beheaded, any of those, the world is not worthy of them. There are special rewards for them in heaven. Then he fell asleep. You know, he didn't die. He spiritually, you know, he, he died physically, but he fell asleep. Lastly, we are introduced to a young man named Saul, who we're going to get to know very well and uh, see what God does in, in his life. So uh, let's pray. Father, we are uh, incredibly blessed by the boldness in the Holy Spirit. We're blessed to learn of the order that was required and what it is to serve. Lord, help us to serve you well, to be of good reputation, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we want to represent you well and boldly in this lost and broken world. Help us to do so by the power of your spirit, that we would preach the name of Jesus and how we live and by what we say. In Jesus' name, amen.